You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak show. This is episode 130, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. He's waving at you right now, but you can't see him. Ben, how you doing, brother? Oh, Mike, everything is delicious. Thanks for asking, man. <laughs> Here's this is this it's Minnesota Vikings week, and we have not yet been able to chat a little bit about Minnesota Vikings week. The Eagles main account put out a thing uh yesterday. Oh boy. That was no, it was it was uh Spuds wrote it. We love we love Spadaro. Uh yeah. who wrote, you know, Eagles uh, you know, face the Vikings and what has been a sneaky good rivalry, what has been like a fun you know, back and forth rivalry for the, you know, the Eagles and the Vikings and these fan bases kind of everything against each other, which is the greatest troll of all time, <laughs> because there's absolutely no way the Vikings equivalent of Dave Spadaro is going to write this post. Yeah. Because if this has been a sneaky good rivalry in the past few weeks, it's been because the Eagles have had statement wins over the Vikings during it. What, what do you think of? You think of 38-7, to 7 and you also think of, what, was it the divisional round, or what was it when the Eagles took out the Vikings and the Falcons right. that year before they went to the Super Bowl? Like, what are the statement wins? The last two games have been the huge statement win uh, by the Eagles in the playoffs, and then the undefeated Vikings with Sam Bradford coming in with a game where there was five turnovers in the first five possessions, right. and the Eagles won that game as well. Right. And then the only one that uh, 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 the, the one in the middle is uh, the Eagles played the Vikings 23-21 last year yep. when the Eagles were kind of like in the middle of their season being like weird and kind of not getting everything. I completely <laughs> forgot that game happened. To me, like the two games that stand out and maybe like this is not true for Vikings fans. Maybe maybe I'm wrong in that. But I feel like the two that have had the most narrative to them have been the NFC Championship game and then Sam Bradford undefeated returning to the Eagles after he was traded away. And the Eagles yeah. won both those games. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's also a fun rivalry in the sense that I have a lot of ways <laughs> to make fun of Minnesota Vikings fans, and they don't have a lot of ways to make fun of me. It's funny because I just spoke with Arif Hassan, and I'm going to have a refund for Eye on the Enemy, but we were talking about it, and he didn't bring up the win last year once. Yep. Like, I, I don't, I don't think I Vikings, forgot it was a thing. Because it didn't mean anything for the Vikings. It didn't go anywhere. It didn't mean anything for anyone. Yeah, it didn't come off for them at all. And, you know, the Eagles end up having a fairly successful season, winning a playoff game and, and whatnot. So, yeah, it's been a fun rivalry for the Eagles. And today we're going to start digging into that matchup. We're going to have our normal two preview shows. First up is going to be the Minnesota Vikings offense against the Philadelphia Eagles defense. And then tomorrow we will switch sides. So let's dig in to this matchup. 
Because schematically, when you when you look at this, and I was talking about this some with Mark Schofield on the QB Sco show, but from a schematic standpoint, it doesn't take long into the film to figure out what the offense wants to be for Minnesota. This is a team that obviously wants to be a running team. They're actually, this is super rare, by the way, they're more efficient on the ground than they are through the right. air. Take that, analytical nerds. Time uh, to have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> they're also a heavy play action team. Uh, they use a good deal of boots. They're seventh overall in play action frequency for the year. And remember before the Jets game, the Eagles were giving up a 133 quarterback rating to play action concepts. So they've had their issues there. And then you have the Vikings tying all of this in the run game and the play action game with the screen game which their screen game is something that I can see them getting chunk plays from with Dalvin Cook at running back per Sports Info Solutions. They're first in EPA in the screen game this year, third in success rate. The Eagles defense, on the other hand, 30th in EPA per screen, 23rd in success rate. So the Vikings are creative with their screen game, and overall they're going to give you a lot of the same looks with a lot of different results. Overall, I think this is an oddly difficult matchup for the Eagles right now. The Vikings are on pace to have the fourth best EPA rushing attack since 2015. The Eagles run defense is stout. We know that. So I'm fascinated to see how that plays out. And you wonder how much the Vikings struggle if that efficiency slips for them and if they decide to just keep hammering the run game. But again, this isn't like the pass-heavy team you worry about going up against the Eagles, but the way they pass the ball attacks the Eagles at their weaknesses, and then you throw in the matchups that we'll get into later just from a personnel standpoint. And last point before I kick it to you, Ben, I swear, but last year, and our friend Matt Manicharian of the Off the Charts podcast pointed this out after I spoke with the research team, eight quick game concepts in that game against the Eagles last year, eight quick game concepts with zero to three step drops against the Eagles. Seven of eight of those were successful, which is tremendous efficiency. They really abused the off coverage looks from Schwartz and negated any blitzes. They were getting stuck on screen blocks. Cousins intended air yards were only 5.5 yards per attempt that game, which was second least that week. And you look at his next gen stats passing chart, and I put this up on Twitter, and a vast majority of his completions are around the line of scrimmage. The guy I went 30 for 37, 301 yards, and a touchdown with just four completions past five yards. That, that is uh, unacceptable. And I remember being extremely frustrated with that game. And look, we all joke about Xavier Rhodes and his quote from the NFC Championship game. You know, they're scheming the S out of us. But the Vikings purely out the Eagles on that side of the ball last year. And I'm wondering what that looks like this year. Yeah, no, it's true. I, I agree with you that it's sneaky, weird matchup for Philly because it's a very, very good running team that's going to continue to run the ball that, you know, the Eagles, like you said, have a very good run defense, but if there's going to be a running offense that beats them, it's probably going to be this one. Uh, yeah, this is the, as you said, I mean, 44% success rate on rushes, 44% rate on passes. This team is as successful running as they are passing per sharp football stats. I can't express to you how not regular that is. <laughs> that's, and this, and like, there needs to be a conversation here about why that's the case because there's yeah. levels to this minnesota team construction hmm. uh, again I, this always circles back to the point where, like i just do not get why people think mike zimmer and rick spielman are as good as they do but like it's right. very weird teams put together here so yeah i agree it's a weird matchup let's start with kevin stefanski stefanski i don't know how to pronounce his name stefanski was a eagles operations intern under reed and childress and when brad childress was hired as the minnesota head coach in 2006 reed vouched for stefanski childress knew of stefanski when he was there in philly for a year and so he brought on stefanski i kid you not as a position called assistant to the head coach <laughs> which in the most 
Dwight Schrute the office <laughs> thing ever. Assistant, assistant, assistant head coach. I I've looked it up. I I've read bios. I can't tell you what exactly he did. From what I understand, he helped put together the travel itinerary and he helped cut up the video That's for Childress. Isn't that like a graduate assistant like right. gig in college? Like, I mean, what is that? I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Stefanski's rise to offensive coordinator looks like the most nepotistic rise of a heavily <laughs> nepotistic industry in terms of NFL right. coaches. But anyway, so Stefanski, right. So he was just Childress and he were buddies. Reed, again, this is like the Eagles' fault. Reed vouched for him. Uh, so they brought him on, integrated him, had him doing, you know, office stuff. And then by 09, he was assistant quarterbacks coach, 14 mm. tight ends coach, 16 running backs coach, 17, 18 quarterbacks coach, 18 interim offensive coordinator after John DeFilippo's fire. Now he's the offensive coordinator. So, like, yeah. I mean, maybe it's no, he actually really worked his way up in the industry and doing good things and, and continuing to, to go after opportunities. But to me, it just looks like Brad Childress liked him. And then Mike, and then you know Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer like them. And he's just hung around and fit wherever they could stick him. And now all of a sudden he's offensive coordinator because he's been in the in the building for literally thirteen years. Mm-hmm. And so when you try to look for Kevin Stefanski's coaching tree, it's a bit weird because he doesn't have one system that he's followed around. He's just been in Minnesota doing <laughs> things with different positions. So it's very it's already like a little weird, right? Yeah. Now he's paired with Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins. Also weird. Fourth round draft pick. Wasn't supposed to be the starter. It was 2012, 13, whatever the heck it was he came out. Wasn't supposed to be the starter. Takes over the the job from Robert Griffin. Griffin gets injured with Jay Gruden. West Coast style passing. Pocket style passer. Do you remember when Cousins was in Washington and it was like, look at Kirk Cousins stats with play action. He's the best passer on the face of the planet when they run play action. Well, this year, as you said, Minnesota's running play action at the seventh highest rate. They're one of the best running teams in the league, which obviously we know, oh, running, you know, the ball shouldn't affect how effective you are play action. But teams are very cognizant of the threat of the run against Dalvin Cook, the number one rushing attack who runs the ball at the highest volume. And Kirk Cousins splits in and out of play action are basically the same. His completion percentage goes up 1%. His QB rating goes up three points. Usually you see a bigger delta there, yeah. He's the same passer, which like (laughs) in, in, in Washington, the whole thing was like, if the Redskins just ran play action more, Kirk Cousins would be one of the best passes in the league. Like that was a thing in 2017, 2016. Right. Mm-hmm. And now he's in Minnesota with the best running attack in the league. But it actually doesn't matter. Kirk Cousins, and, and you, you brought up the, the, the shallow depth of target, the quick release time against the Eagles last year. Mm. John DeFilippo's a coordinator there. John DeFilippo's now doing the exact same thing with Gardner Minshew in Jacksonville. Kirk Cousins leads the league in time to throw. Leads the league in time to throw right now. And that's something I wanted to talk about because... What we saw with Cousins being effective last year, does that translate to this year because of that, that no, shift? No, no, right, yeah. Stefanski, no, I don't know why. But I mean, this is this is a very traditional offensive approach in terms of how the progressions and the route concepts are built. They run a ton of levels ideas and it's high to low reads. We go deep, middle, shallow all the time. Mm. In a vacuum, that should work with the running attack that you're presenting. You're inviting more defenders into the box. You should be getting more single high coverage. You should be able to win on the on the deep outside, especially when you have players like Thielen and Diggs. And Cousins just won't pull the trigger. Oh, yep. man, that Giants film. I'm screaming at him. Throw yeah, it. Send it, young man. What are we, you're, not, you're only going to get to throw the ball 18 times in this game. You might as well chuck it on a couple. Right, they don't throw the ball, and he and and he goes. He looked at it deep. 
He sits in the pocket at depth. He does not hitch. So he has a consistent, predictable landing point, which is why he gets pressured so much. Third highest rate in the league. Yep. Because he does not move in the pocket and he stares mm. at the deep route and then he comes middle and then he comes to a check down. Yeah. And I, if, if I was Adam Thielen, I would be furious. If I was Stephon Diggs, I would be furious. You paid me. You brought in John Filippo. He fed me targets. They fed Diggs and Thielen so many targets to the point where people were criticizing it. And this is the alternative. <laughs> the assistant to, the, to Brad Childress in 2006. <laughs> the video intern 10 years ago who wants to run the football. And I love the way they run the ball. I love the system. And I want to talk about the scheme and everything like that. But the philosophy is unintelligible to me. The, 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 the ideas of what would be a good offense does not match the players that they have on the field. It simply doesn't. There is significant discontinuity between the offensive coaching staff and the offensive talent. And accordingly, I don't, the Vikings, I don't, they're not going to be consistently good. I like, they could beat the Eagles next week. I don't care. This is this is a great example of you have to have your ducks in a row when you are team building. You have to have the pieces have to fit together. You can't bring in Cousins and bring in Filippo and then get impatient with Filippo. I am positive Filippo was a Spielman hire that Zimmer hated. And after, the, after they struggled in large part because of Cousins... DeFilippo is the one they cut because they guaranteed the money to Cousins, which was a Spielman mistake. And now you're stuck with a quarterback who Spielman wants and a coordinator that Zimmer wants. They don't make sense together. Bad money over bad. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's fascinating to see the, the way that this is going to play out because this is an offense being propped up by a running tack. They're, they're an exactly average offense. They're 16th in DVOA. They're 16th in points per game. They have the 22nd passing attack via DVOA. Sixth against the run. I, I wonder because you mentioned Kirk Cousins and me and me and Mark talked about, you know, Carson Wentz shortening his drops when he sees something and, and you know, having a different launch point. Jim Schwartz, who tracks these launch points, has got to be sitting there going, oh, man, he does. I know. Ex- I know he exactly where he's going to be. And you look at the difference between this offense and their success. The concepts in the screen game and the run game are so much better than the concepts in the passing game and the pass blocking versus the run blocking. There is a huge difference. Per PFF, the offensive line is 25th in their pass blocking uh, efficiency metric. They're 24th in the adjusted sack rate per football outsiders. But their adjusted line yards are 6th in the league. Dalvin Cook is the second-ranked DVOA running back in the league, there's such a huge disparity, and you and you look even further every week. We we look at the matchups from PFF to see the advantage between the offensive line and the defensive line. PFF has this as the biggest disadvantage for the Minnesota Vikings offensive line in pass blocking and run blocking. They're like that's a push. So I'm interested to see like this this Eagles defense went from 22nd DVOA to sixth DVOA overall within one week. After a 10-sack performance that we're not sure what we can take away from it, I feel like this Minnesota Vikings offensive line and Kirk Cousins holding on to the ball so much if they don't go to the plan that they went with last year is going to give up a lot of pressure and a lot of sacks. The only thing that can really save them from that if they kind of keep the current construction of their offense is if they go with a lot of play action and they go max protect. Like, that's the only way I see them not giving up a ton. You know what I mean? Because they like to boot. They like to every now and then get Cousins on the move. But otherwise, I think as long as Brandon Graham, Derek Barnett, and the other edges there, and then whoever is attached to Cook in the passing game, 
If they can sniff out those screens and those ends can sniff out those screens and they can sniff out those play action boots, which is the strength of Brandon Graham and a strength of Derek Barnett, I think this defense holds up pretty well. Right. And that's the, the so, the, so like the strength of Brandon Graham, the strength of Derek Barnett, the Eagles edges against flow is everything, right? Mm. This, uh, we've talked about these linebackers. We've talked about these linebackers against hard action, against play action. These linebackers flow. These linebackers move. Get on your horse and go. You know what I mean? Like, like we're, we're defending the run. And that's yeah. that's how the Eagles have done it. It's been successful. It's it's, it's got its ups. It's got its downs. Okay. So the linebackers are going to flow. Then your edge is, your edges, your end man on the line of scrimmage are responsible for backside action. You know, when you get a, a hard flow to the defense's right, then you need to, and your linebackers are flowing right, then that left defensive end needs to be able to stay home. Yep. But then also, Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett love to crash down and make those pursuit plays. So you're in a mm. tricky spot in terms of the, you don't want to bridle your playmakers in terms of what they like to do in their play style, but also you need to be protected on that backside. Or, you know, you can do what Schwartz is likely going to want to do, which is rotate an extra player down in the box, bring Malcolm Jenkins there over the weak side, whatever. So... What the Vikings present to you in terms of flow with that offensive line is highly problematic. And the reason is, we talked about outside zone versus wide zone in terms of what it is that they want to run. You know, outside zone is a concept that, you know, people use different terminology for different things. And so it's tricky to parse what exactly you know, like, like, it, you people use different terminology for different things. When I say outside zone, I'm thinking about a play that hits the B gap. I'm thinking about we want to get that guard up into the second level, get that tack up, tackle up into the second level, and work inside that gap between the guard and the tackle. When I think something like a stretch concept of play, that's getting outside. That's getting into the C gap. It's getting outside of the tackle. We want to be moving horizontally and literally outflank the defense. And that's more so where Stefanski falls. So Stefanski wants to get outside of that tackle. I think he wants to be a stretch zone style of player, uh, of coach. Okay, but when you go and you look at Cook's uh, Dalvin Cook, the tremendous young running back, his explosive runs, and when you look at what the Vikings like to sequence in, pin pull and then yep. wind back. Two yep. concepts that work really nicely off of a, a, an outside zone look, off of a wide zone look, but are different and, and and stress defenders in different ways. And so we have a we have a wide zone base. The entire offensive line is going to gather step outside of their frames, get on their horse, rotate their hips, and work hard, flow hard to the far side. Cool. On pin pull, pin pull is zoned with pullers, right? It's what we talk about. Instead of asking, you know, if you have a three tech between your guard and your tackle, on a, con- on a zone concept, you're asking that guard to reach block that three technique. He's got to get an- across the face of that three technique. Well, when that three technique's Fletcher Cox, Mike, it ain't easy. And when your guards are Josh Klein, Pat Eiflin, and Dakota Dozier, it's a little harder. You don't want to be reaching that three tech, and so they'll pin pull. Pin pull is zone with pullers. We take the tackle and we block down on that three tech because the tackle already has leverage. The guard comes underneath the tackle, pulls behind him, and now is the new guy stepping into the tackle's role. We just executed what the zone concept was attempting to execute by keeping the tackle at a leverage point and moving the, the puller. Something the Eagles love to do with you their made left. It easier. Yeah, with your left guard and center, they like to do it with Sam Malo and... and uh, and Kelsey, when they know that they can get those guys uncovered, they'll run pinpoint right. concepts. That's number one. Number two is wind back. Another thing the Philadelphia Eagles love to do off their zone concepts. All right, I'm giving you an outside zone look. Everybody steps back, gather step, and we're flowing hard to the right. But my weak side, and typically this is where you're giving a zone look weak, but that doesn't matter. My weak side, my weak side guard, my weak side tackle are going to double 
upfield. And so they're going to, instead of, again, that weak side tackle trying to come underneath that three tech and that guard climbs up to linebacker, well, they're just going to double that three tech, take him into the second level, and then the tackle, not the guard, the tackle is going to disengage and go tag that weak side linebacker. What we're doing is we're not only inviting the cutback, we're blocking for it. We're right. planning on it. You're creating a wall. You're, you're creating action one way. You're creating a wall so you can cut off that wall, basically. Right. Yeah. If you think about it this way, you know, one of the strengths of wide zone, go watch the Los Angeles Rams. One of the strengths of wide zone is get those linebackers to flow hard to the play side. And mm. now you're back behind the offensive line, cuts back into the opposite A gap and the opposite B gap. And he's got a step on those linebackers because they, they were flowing so hard one direction. Well, what if you blocked that? What if you anticipated and planned for that? And that's where I think Dalvin Cook is the most dangerous is when yeah. they get that that tight end they'll go tight end wing set so two tight ends on, on the back side and they'll double that tackle they'll, they'll they'll double the three tech double the seven tech double him up to the linebacker and now those linebackers who initially saw play side flow hard in one direction they saw the initial steps of the running back hard in one direction they go to flow to the play side and then all of a sudden there's double teams coming at them from the back side they try to respond to the cutback there's two or three blockers there ready for them and it lets Dalvin Cook immediately get vertical challenge into the second and the third level Philadelphia ain't gonna be a two high shells either so now you're asking your single high safety to make a tackle in the third level otherwise it's gang free so that's mm-hmm. gonna be a, a play that's dangerous for Philadelphia so when we talk about who's got big responsibilities for the Eagles defense, those backside ends are going to be in situations where against windback plays, they have to be able to survive double teams, split double teams, force plays to go narrow into the depth, into the middle of the defense, into you know up through the A-gap, can't get outside, can't get outside those fast-flowing linebackers. And then against pin-pull, now you need that play-side defensive end to be able to spike down against a, a, a down block, get upfield and force that play to go too wide and give your linebackers time to get on their horse and get in, in engaged with those pullers so you need tremendous run defense play from Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett the most important players on the field yeah because I agree the 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 only way the Vikings are going to be running in those interior gaps is on those windback concepts other than that they want to get outside of you and so you need your defensive ends to be playing good football now the Eagles have two really good run defending defensive ends of Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett Josh Sweat Vinnie Curry is a drop-off and the Eagles like to rotate but Derek Barnett, Brandon Graham, they've got the guys. Though that's that's those are the matchups right there. And they probably have an advantage against the offensive tackles in general. And you said, I mean, this is a good run blocking team, but Brian O'Neill and Riley Reef are good players, not great players. And and Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett should be able to have the advantage over them in one-on-one situations. What's gonna be interesting is what's gonna happen when the Vikings present a larger surface. Mm. Seven uh, you know, seven guys on the line bringing in two tight ends. Add a gap. And you're adding gaps. Now the Eagles either have to go base, Camus, Bradham, and Gary, question mark? Duke right. Riley, question mark? Is he ready? You know? <laughs> uh, either you either go base, or now you're presenting five linemen, which the Eagles don't do very much. But they should think about. Because the Giants did it, and it effed up the Vikings running approach a fair bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's... Those large surfaces are going to be what, what's, what's concerning to me in the running game. What's concerning to me in the pass game is... You know, Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that when we come back here on the Kisten Solak Show. So we already detailed we're going to need a big game from the defensive ends, a responsible game from them, sniffing out stuff in the run game and in the pass game. When we come back, we'll talk about these matchups in the secondary. That's coming up next here on the Kisten Solak Show. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we are back here on the Kiss and Solak Show, episode 130, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation. Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. Ben, we are talking preview of the Vikings offense against the Eagles defense tomorrow. We're going to switch sides of the ball, but let's keep it on the offense. Let, let's look at some of these matchups. First first thing that I, I want to get out of the way because it, it stands out so much to me. What is Mike Zimmer thinking? And I could stop right there, but I'm going to continue with an additional thought and really dial in. What is Mike Zimmer thinking giving Kyle Rudolph 92% of the snaps over Irv Smith Jr., who's getting about 50%? I know they run a lot of 12, but Kyle Rudolph is freaking terrible. He's got like one more catch than Irv Smith Jr. with twice the opportunities. And and I'll tell you this. You go to the PFF tight end matchup chart where they where they basically predict what the matchups are going to be for the tight ends every week, and they also give an advantage for that. We don't talk about this much, but kind of the same thing with the offensive line, defensive line thing. The matchup between Kyle Rudolph and Malcolm Jenkins, they have as a negative 55% advantage for Kyle Rudolph. The next worst one is 17%. This is bright red. This is bright red. Do it's, not do this. <laughs> so negative 55 advantage. Isn't that just a disadvantage? It's a gigantic, <laughs> gigantic disadvantage. Okay. Irv Smith Jr., on the other hand, I don't know if you saw him against the Raiders. He only had three catches, but that was like his coming out party. He ran some of the prettiest routes, and he's already a better blocker than Kyle Rudolph. What are they doing? He looks exactly well, as you expected Irv Smith to look, come out, to look when he came out of Alabama. Right. right. He's exactly who he was, and probably a little bit better of a route runner. Yeah, I would argue this is, again, I think it's a Spielman pick in his Zimmer offense. Again, this is mostly conjecture, but I think that there's a discontinuity between the head coach and between the general manager. Here's here's your fun trivia for the day, for the podcast, for now. When was Kyle Rudolph drafted? What year? Do you know? 1950? Uh, let's see. I want to say 2004? 2011. He's 29. <laughs> what? No, he moves Why like Jason Witten. <laughs> does he feel like he's 83 years old? <laughs> He'll turn 30 in November. You just blew my mind. 2011! (laughs) And he was actually drafted, and this is hilarious to me, second round, 43rd overall. Irv Smith Jr. drafted second round, 50th overall. It's very interesting. Like, uh, again, like, I don't think Zimmer wants to move on from Rudolph. And so I think they're going to continue to put Rudolph out there. I think they're going to continue to run two tight end sets. They're going to continue to feed Rudolph because that's who they fed previously. Yeah. I, yeah, Irv Smith was drafted, we thought, to replace Rudolph. I mean, they're going to do do more 12 personnel. That's also fine. But, yeah, I mean, he's got five receptions, Irv Smith yeah. does. You, you, you say feeding him. Kyle Rudolph has, what, six receptions? They couldn't feed them if they tried. Guy doesn't. Guy can't get open. It's it, bad. Right, but this but – this, What this happened circles, to him? Right, but this circles back to the point of – Stefanski, what what's what's the plan here? Like what's yeah. the, what's the continuity in terms of what you're trying to do as a passing offense? Because and like you know, as we said, you know what scares me. The concepts are are, are plain. The 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 drop is is consistent in terms of where Kirk Cousins ends up. The time to throw is 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 long. Pass protection is bad. Interior offensive line not good. Bad 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 bad. Which, oh, wow, the Vikings have bad guards. Let's all pick our jaws up off the floor. But, like, really? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's still really rough. The only thing that's worrisome is that Stefanski is obsessed with double moves. And the Eagles don't have anybody who can cover Stefan Diggs for more than three seconds. Nobody. Mm. No one. 
No one mm-hmm. to cover Adam Thielen for more than three seconds. Even if everybody was healthy, they don't. Yeah, I agree. It's, right. So now it's... And these, are, and these are the typical type of wide receivers, the guys that are nuanced and can sell you something throughout their route stem and at what you think might be their break. These are the two guys that just really expose the Eagles' aggressiveness when they squat on intermediate stuff. They they can they will separate with ease. That's the main thing is that like you're presenting eight yards of depth, eight yards of cushion, I should say, in off man coverage. You you build Stephon Diggs when you build a wide receiver to beat that coverage. That's yeah. who you make in a laboratory. Because Stephon Diggs is going to sell that story the entire eight yards, and by the right. end of it. You're going to believe every word that he just said. <laughs> right. The, right. So the, the most important thing when you're looking at a, a receiver who can beat off coverage is firstly, I need the speed to eat it. I need you very right. quickly. I need to be able to get even with that player. Because if I want to get behind him, I have to be able to get even with him first. Step See, on Stephon, the toes. Stephon Diggs, one of the most explosive receivers offline of scrimmage in the league. I mean, he's yeah. just, he's lightning out of a bottle. Then number two, yes, like you said, telling the story. I need a dynamic route runner to give those eyes something off the snap. And that is at times, you know, all like releasing inside, releasing outside, snap this break, move here, blah, 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 blah. Cool. That's effective. And yeah, okay, whatever. At other times, it's, three-step head fake bang the slant and that's stefan diggs to a t like yeah. like diggs is one of the best slant runners in the league because it's just snappy it's effective it's sharp it's rapid and he's very he's he's fearless across the middle of the field it's the 10 yard comeback which is just get to your hip drop my hips drop my eyes turn around present my hands get to the sideline made the catch step out of bounds and this is stefan yeah. diggs this is what he's and done it, and it's four years and it's so easy to get in the blind spot of these eagles defenders that are working this bail technique like he's going to get in that blind spot and as soon as he's in that blind spot he's squatting and next thing you know Sidney jones is 15 yards down the field and you're wondering why is he so disconnected from right. it and so they've got to let they've got to either let sewell play on the line in which case they're still going to lose reps or you're going to have to de- deal with the fact that stefan diggs who's been absolutely dead this year is going to have a hundred yard game which he's i believe yet to have so far this season oh uh, no he had one against chicago 108 okay. yards but and but then, and then this is where it goes back to being fascinating stefan dix has 23 targets on the year dalvin cook has 24 <laughs> what <laughs> what are you doing this is what i said the disconnect between the run game being so good and well planned out and the passing game being like huh what's going on here what are you thinking silly why yeah. Shavondix has 15.8 yards per reception, 11 yards per target. Dumbledore has 9.5 and 8.3. Mm-hmm. You're costing yourself three yards every time you target Cook instead of Diggs. Somebody, and, and the thing is, like, I, I, so I argue that there's a disconnect. I think that there'd be better ways to open Diggs. I think there'd be more effective ways of sequencing the run game and the pass game. I think putting Kirk Cousins in the freaking shotgun would help. Yeah. But somebody, like, so all of that, I believe, but somebody's got to grab Kirk by the shoulder pads and say, make the throw. Stick his face mask in Curtin's face mask and say, just throw it to him. Just throw him the ball. <laughs> okay? It's like, I, I also want to tell Kirk, it's not like you're not going to throw interceptions, you idiot. Like, you, yeah. you know, like, you're not, you do that because you're not very good. But, like, you know, like, like, you have nothing to protect here. You know, like, like the, he's playing like a quarterback who's got a, 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 a six point lead in a good running game. From 15 minutes on the clock in quarter, in quarter one, he doesn't always have that. He's seventh in deep ball accuracy, but he only 
throws over 20 yards 10% of the time. It's 24 out of 36. Right. Brother, you got to let it go sometimes. Yeah, that, and that's 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 where I think that the frustration is correctly placed with Cousins and not with Stefanski. Like my frustration with Stefanski uh, in terms of route concepts and in terms of, of route distribution, I would even say as well, and design and, and, and creativity of building passing concepts off your running game is warranted and it's fair. But I think the majority of the the blame has to fall on Cousins because if you if you, you got to play the hand you're dealt and you have Stephon Diggs in one-on-one coverage on a deep over route, put the ball in the field. And if it's incomplete, it's incomplete, sweetie. If it's intercepted, it's interception. You know what I mean? Like, we'll get over it. We'll be fine. You're going to get the ball again. 23 targets for Stephon Diggs. One touchdown. This is a top 15 wide receiver. This is a top 10 I wide know. receiver. And it's just, it's just, it's just stupid. Unbelievable. Yeah. And so, I mean, like, so I think, yeah, stay in 12. They're going to continue to run on first and 10 at an exorbitant rate. They're going to continue to heavily rely on play action, even though it's not opening up deep windows down the field, despite the fact that they have a very effective running game, despite the fact that the run is very prominent because they do it all the time. And despite the fact that the Eagles are going to give them the deep areas of the field, because they're going to put eight in the box against seven man fronts. And they're going to give you single high with corners and eight yards off. I mean, this is on paper the defense that this offense should be able to beat through the air. Yeah. I don't have faith in Kirk Cousins. So we'll see. So we'll see. Because right now, in terms of Minnesota offense against the Eagles defense, I'm nowhere. What's going to happen? I'm nowhere. Right? I agree. I'm in place of great conflict. Because like we said, this is a, a sneaky, weird, good matchup on paper for the Vikings offense to score a ton of points on the Eagles defense. They've also, For all the weird reasons, yeah. Right. They've also yet to score a ton of points in any single game this year. Mm-hmm. And... Playing slightly better at home. Right. And don't have a good offense. I don't know. But the way it's constructed, just I, it feels like it's going to give the Eagles problem. And, and Ben, check this out. Before we get into predictions, I, I, I threw this question out there to Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders. And I asked him, do you know how huge a shift the Eagles defense going from 22nd DVOA to 6th in a single week as compared to other shifts historically. Aaron Schatz just hit me back while we were recording. He says, it looks like this is the best week four to week five improvement in defensive DVOA rank ever. Previous record was 11 places. The biggest DVOA shift in defense week four to week five ever. That's yeah. that's Falk, Falk went from like <laughs> being like the ninth or eighth most pressured quarterback to the first most pressured quarterback in like one week. <laughs> The adjusted sack rate for the Eagles is just like magically like a wand went over it from week to week. Yeah. Okay. I will say, because well, I, I brushed on it, but a quick 30 seconds on it. Yeah. There's been the whole like, all right, Fletcher Cox seems a little healthier. seems a little better. The Jets game was a good game. Yeah. I mean, like the, the, the Vikings cannot handle interior stunts and the Eagles have been running them this year significantly more than they have in previous years. Now, mm-hmm. if you can't stop the run, you can't stunt. If you yep. stunt the wrong way against wide zone, it's 25 yards. Correct, yeah. So the Eagles, are they want to stunt. They're not going to be able to stunt until they can be sure they stop the run. If and if, if and if and when, that's what I wanted. If and when the Eagles <laughs> are unable to stop the run to the extent to which they like to, they have to re- retain lane integrity and gap integrity. So you can't stunt as much. So Fletcher Cox lines up in the B gap. He's going to have to stay in the B gap. You know, Hassan Ridgeway lines up in the A-gap. He's going to have to stay in the A-gap. You're not going to be able to run as many games unless it's a clear passing down. Okay, the player you need to win that one-on-one then is Fletch. And he's he's, he's your best pass rusher. 
And it's gonna, he's going to be up against the weakness of this team. He's going to be up against Garrett Bradbury, who has struggled in pass protection, as I think was expected for him yeah. coming out. That's been like a whole thing. Like, oh, Bradbury's actually bad. Well, no, like we kind of knew he was not going to be great at this to start. Or Josh Klein, who's been woof rough. Or Pat Elfline or Dakota Dozier, who I think Dozier was in for Elfline a couple weeks ago. I don't know if Elfline's healthy or not or whatever it was, but... We'll give injury updates on the on the next one, but yeah. yeah. But uh, who who both of whom have had their ups and downs. I think Elfline has been playing good ball this year, but he's struggled against elite rushers. I mean, uh, the, the Bears gave him nightmares in the interior. Yeah. So if you can <laughs> defend the run, which I, I argued started with your defensive ends, you should be able to twist and stun. And that's where the Eagles are going to be able to get pressure. If you can't, it needs to be a fletch game. It's got to be a fletch game. That's the weakness of this team. You're the strength of the defensive line. He's been getting warm. And Kirk Cousins just sits. He doesn't react. He's a, mm. he's a statue, so you can get there. Uh, so it's, it's a huge Fletch game, in my opinion, especially if the Eagles are struggling to stop the run early. I think Fletch is important, too, because with him having a down year coming into the Jets game, I think a lot of that adjusted sack rate and the pressures not turning into sacks had some to do with the lack of interior pressure. If you turn Cox up, I think more of those pressures become sacks. So that's an encouraging sign. Let's get to the predictions. These lines are brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. So let's go. We got Eagles. Or I'm seeing that three and a half point underdogs now with an over under of 44. So let's just call it 24 to 20 Vikings is what Vegas is calling it. We won't do our final predictions, but we will predict if the Vikings score over or under on those 24 points. Ben, what say you? I think it's under. The Eagle, I yeah. trust the Eagles run defense because I think that Schwartz will bail out the stop the run to a fault. And yeah. then it's, Am I fearful of what Kirk Cousins, Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, Kevin Stefanski, and the Vikings passing offense have put out this year? And the answer is no. Right. Now, as I said a few minutes ago, I'm nowhere right now. Irv Smith game. Cousins could come out and throw for 350 and four, and I would not (laughs) be surprised. Right. I wouldn't be. Because he should. Yeah. But I don't think he will. But he should. But he might not. But he should. So he could. (laughs) I'm nowhere, right? I'm nowhere. So... It's, it's, um, I think that they come in under 24. I think that this game, by the way, is slow or not slow is fast in the sense that both teams are going to run it a lot. Right. So the clock's going to go. And I, I don't think it's going to be a ton of drives, quick scores, anything like that. I think it's going to be methodical stuff. I think you're going to see some long drives put together. Both teams are running the ball at a really high rate, which is predictable to say for the Vikings and very weird to say for the Eagles. So I think that you have lower drives for that reason. I think it's a lower scoring game than, than what is currently being projected out. So I do take the under on 24 for the Vikings. It could get weird. I got to take a look at the uh, the snap pacing. That's that's a good point on your part. We can touch on that on the next episode. And I agree. I think it's going to be a bit of a slogger. This Vikings offense, I feel, is average. This Eagles defense, I feel, is average. I guess average would be around 20 points. So I think I'm going to take the under on the Vikings as well. Because like you said, like, Weird matchup. We don't know. This is exactly the Kirk Cousins litmus test. So we're going to find out something about this Eagles defense, hopefully, in this game. And hopefully it's that they're better than an average If Vikings your quarterback offense. can't throw against this passing offense, you don't have a quarterback. Or on the ends of this passing defense, you don't have a quarterback. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think they do. So I think they scored 20 points. And I, I think that's being a little bit generous. But we'll we'll get to final predictions in the next Kiston Solak Show. Ben, that's going to do it for today. Would you say goodbye to the gentle listeners? Hey, guys. 
Thank you, as always, for listening to the Kiss and Solak Show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you swinging by. Eagles defense, Vikings offense. Oh, boy, we're playing Kirk Cousins again. What a time to be alive. Here's the thing, is that regardless of the outcome of the game, I will be able to get multiple Kirk Cousins jokes off between now and Sunday at 4. And that's what I want. That's what I need. Even Kirk Cousins goes for 350 and 4. I'm going to say he should have gone for 405. It doesn't matter. Kirk Cousins jokes forever. <laughs> As Mike said, this was uh, uh, the first half of the preview shows. The second half is coming to your feeds shortly here. It'll be up on Saturday. And so if it is Saturday by the time you're listening, Eagles offense against Mike Zimmer and the Vikings defense. That preparation show for you as well, available on the feed. Of course, the Babes on Broad and the BGN Radio preview shows. Also available at the podium, QB Scope Show, Eye on the Enemy with Harif Hassan. There is no way to get ready for this game that does not include the BGN Radio feed. So if you enjoyed the feed, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on whatever app you listen to your podcast. He is Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL. That it, I'm, I did it in the opposite order. Yeah, it was weird. I am Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak, that's S-O-L-A-K. He is Michael Kiss on Twitter, at Michael Kiss NFL, K-A-S-T. Tomorrow's the other half of the preview show. I'm going <laughs> to talk, we'll talk to you then. We all we got, we all we need. Weird. Fly, Eagles, fly. What's weird is I actually listened to you at the end of that. Yeah, I right, heard you, all of that. you caught the mistake. G-G-N.